good evening everyone and welcome to a very very sad weekend wrap uh, this week after the crows going down to melbourne last night uh, we'll try and keep it as upbeat as possible and joining me as usual uh nikki how are you going nick um well let's hope my voice holds out because i spent a lot of time yelling at umpires last night let's hope and maca how you doing maca yeah, doing good. Better than the crows. <laughs> Evening to everyone in the chat, DSG and Mark and Sloan. How are you going? Um, we will rip right into the scores roundup. So, scores, eh? Uh, interesting round, a couple of upsets. Uh, Friday night we had... What, I had a shit-tipping weekend. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't flash, was it? Friday night, probably, I don't reckon it was an upset, but many people would have picked Sydney. But Essendon getting up uh, far too strong in the end, 109-66 to 66, um, at Etihad Stadium. Essendon, uh, outside chance for the eight at this stage, the way they're playing, uh, quite... Quite a uh, an attractive game, of, uh, brand of footy that they're playing at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, and basically um, they they take the game on and they've got a lot of pace. And, and it's one thing that we lack in our side is is pace. And uh, with Essendon, pace is king. And uh, they they you know Sydney just couldn't uh, hold them out. And uh, um, I don't to me it wasn't a surprise. I as, as I was talking about during the week. Sydney's uh, got a very poor midfield at the moment in the sense that it's got two very good players and, the, and not much else to back it up. And we, as we talked about, they, uh, they're just slow. Yes, they are. I, I don't think they'll make the finals. Uh, they've dropped out um, on percentage and I don't think they'll get back in, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, Richmond and Collingwood played out a very entertaining match on Saturday. Richmond getting up with a strong final quarter, 105-77 to 77 in the end at the G. Uh, Richmond now a game clear on top of the ladder and Collingwood not doing their finals or their premiership aspirations or credentials, I should say, any harm, I don't think. It was a pretty decent performance. You know, a quality effort by Collingwood. Um, they And they were, you know, they had the situation with... Uh, Short, uh, shortness in their rotations because of injury, and uh, once again, poor Sharon Berg, he can't take a trick, the poor oh, lad. Poor bugger. Very t- he's, a, he's a very, very talented footballer, and yet he just can't get a run at it. And uh, Has that OCL been uh, confirmed yet, or tomorrow? I think it'll be tomorrow, but I, I think it would be almost certain that it will be an ACL. Yeah, I think he knew. Just the way he grabbed at it straight away. Didn't he? Didn't he? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, just... Buckley was they almost just... in tears uh, in the in the post match presser talking about it. I think uh, they all feel for him. I mean, it's, it's what his third now. Third. Yeah, this will be his third one, yeah. and that's just horrible. Um, nice to see though that Buckley's starting to grow the beard back because um, I think that's actually their good luck charm. <laughs> We're better with it, yeah. Yeah, they go better when he grows his beard. Um, <laughs> I actually think he looks better with a beard. Um, it was just I really enjoyed watching it, except for. The free kicks that were so one-sided to Richmond again, but they 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 have a completely different set of rules that they can play to than their opposition does, and it's quite unfair. And I think if Howe had have still been on, they would have Collingwood would have really given them push. But the, um, I think the main instigator was, and the, and the commentators actually got it right, was it was always those middle sections. As soon as Nankervis went off, 
Grundy and Cox, and Cox had a really good game. Yeah, he's improved a lot. Yeah, and his his ruck work was really good. Um, that that's what got them back in there. So, well, you know, I, I, they might be uh, a bit of a, prim, uh, you know, trying well, they, for the cakewalk. They had to go yeah. out, um, and he's a big part of their uh, makeup. Uh, they've got yeah. a couple of, couple of key injuries at the moment, so if they can get uh, if they can get fit come finals time, uh, they will they will push a lot of teams and they will push Richmond at the G. It certainly negates the home ground advantage, that's for sure. And I also agree with Nikki. I do think they get a very good run with Ums. Oh, it's just um, what well, they got a one of their goals they got in the first quarter or whatever. They were talking about the smallest pressure and everything else. See how they got the holding of the ball. He's grabbed him over the shoulder. To start yeah, off with, I remember it. it, it it's a high tackle. The tackle has to be legal. Mm. It doesn't matter if he's broken another tackle beforehand. That tackle must be legal, and it wasn't. Mm. And they kept showing replays, and not one commentator picked up. And said, "Oh, what a great tackle it was!" Ah, uh, dude, no. <laughs> anyway, um, also Saturday afternoon, Geelong getting up over uh, Brisbane. Not unexpected. Brisbane have had a pretty good run, but I reckon they might just start. Running out of puff, particularly with uh, away games um, like that. Geelong getting up in the end, one twenty to seventy-eight. I didn't actually watch that game. Didn't see much of it, but um, in the little bit that I did see of it, uh, yeah, Geelong just a little bit too good. Taylor, uh, yeah, Hawkins uh, with another bag of seven, and just it's interesting, uh, you know. And of all people, Sam Newman picked it up on Thursday night that uh, Geelong have gone to this faster movement of the ball and all of a sudden they're able to isolate Hawkins one out, uh, Tom Hawkins, and uh, he's kicked a couple of bags. So interesting to see whether Geelong have just rolled the dice a little bit on their game plan um, and whether they think this is their only chance to go deep in September. The interesting thing uh, uh, also about Geelong is uh, since Ablett's come in, it's really... Ruined Dangerfield's game. The Dangerfield was a dominant player last year, Brownlow medalist, um, and this year, uh, well, he was just an also ran in the game against uh, the Brisbane Lions, and he's had several games like that this year. That he's just one of uh, the lesser players in the team. Oh, no, no, I think I think it's what you've got, Macca. Is there's quite a number of players who are still in that team who used to play with Ablett. And so they've just slipped back into the old habits. Um, but the other thing I was, I was going to say, Phoenix, about that one out that they're now doing with Hawkins, has Chris Scott finally learned to try and come up with a game plan that's not that's somebody that's now his and not somebody else's? Well, who knows? Uh, but I, I think he's just playing the Richmond game plan, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, so he's copying once again. Well, you know, uh, it, there's a definite trend towards fastball movement at the moment. If you look at who I would yeah. consider the, the yeah. form teams in the competition at the moment, a lot of them have adopted that kamikaze ball movement forward and, and they're favouring smaller forward lines, which is why I was dead against our selection on Thursday night. Um, and, uh, you know, almost almost chaotic ball movement through the through the corridor. Um, and those are the teams that are having success. So it looks to me as if uh, Chris Scott has thought, well, I've got a strong midfield and I've got a big bloke up forward and my defence isn't all that great, so how about we just roll the dice? Mm. Um, and well, not a bad strategy, if you ask me, for that for that team. It's working. 
Um, then also on Saturday late afternoon, uh, we had GWS struggling but getting over the end, uh, over the St Kilda in the end, 86 to 61 up there at Spotless and uh, certainly keeping themselves in the top four hunt. Well, good effort by St Kilda because GWS, they've got quality players and uh, in the end, quality won the day. Um, and, um, and as the game got to its eventual conclusion, the quality rose to the surface. And uh, I mean, that's just got a mighty midfield. I, I actually enjoy watching them play because they're so, they're so skilled and uh, uh, it was a good game. But uh, well, well done by St Kilda to make a game of it. But uh, I think GWS could be a threat in the finals. Uh, no. Uh, no, I think definitely, Macca. Yeah, Macca, um, because I didn't see the game because we were at the bar before the Crows game. Um, the, the, I did hear one of the commentators, though, for a little bit talking about how all St Kilda need to do is actually fix up their accuracy for shots on goals and they'll start getting wins. Is it's that your true. impression? Oh, they missed some shockingly easy goals. That's been they, their Achilles heel all season. Yeah, yeah they, they, and seriously, we're not talking about difficult shots for goal. You know, we're talking maybe, you know, 25 metres out straight in front and all that mm. sort of stuff. So, and that, that's confidence. Well, I, you know, as, as I remember when I, when I was playing it and – this isn't about me, but it's more about the principle. Well, I hey, just, I'll just interrupt you for a second there, Macca. What, Nikki, do you reckon we need to start doing a count on Macca saying when I was playing? Because <laughs> it's becoming more prevalent of late. Well, the point I was trying to make was not about that. <laughs> it, was, it was the fact that, that, I, that I loved kicking a goal and I was a good set shot for goal. Yeah. And I think, you ha- I think you have to want to kick a goal. You know, rather than the blokes that miss are the ones that line it up and think, oh, geez, I hope I don't, I don't miss this. You have to think, you beauty, I'm going to kick a goal. Well, Macca, remember earlier in the year I made a, um, a, a statement regarding not missing from 30 metres out, I don't know how many times in a row or whatever, um, and I haven't fulfilled that challenge yet because I've had Achilles' uh, tendonitis, but uh, I will do it before the end of the season, and uh, I might even drag you out and you can do it as well because it's bloody shit easy, and I don't know how they bloody miss. Anyway, I can do it as long as you let me do it from fifteen meters out. Yeah, that's fine. Nick. You can do it. Yeah, <laughs> that's my distance. <laughs> yeah, it's still better than bloody Tommy Lynch. But anyway, we'll get to that one. Um, Carlton with the upset of the round this week, uh, albeit against a team only one above them. They certainly uh, Gold Coast coming off a really good win last week wasted it by going down to Carlton. Carlton seventy nine to Gold Coast forty four. Um, Gold Coast keeping their wooden spoon hopes well and truly alive if Carlton keep that sort of form up. I can't believe it. I mean, seriously, I can't believe that result because Gold Coast, they knocked off Sydney last week on Sydney's home deck. And then at home, they lose to a team that is the laughing stock of the competition. So um, uh, well done to Carlton for winning the game. But uh, great big heaps of shit on uh, Gold Coast for losing. Yeah. Or or does that actually say something a bit more about Sydney? Well, no, it says a lot about Sydney in the, uh, as, as, a, as a byproduct of it, Nicky, I agree with you. But by the same token, it also makes you wonder, are Gold Coast trying to uh, out-tank Carlton? No, I, I think... I think that Gold Coast win last week was a bit situational. I think they got on a bit of a roll. Um, I think the game suited them. And, and, you know, they haven't got a bad midfield either. And Sydney's midfielders we've spoken about are just going. 
um, and uh, Gold Coast got some tall timber that can get under, get out, uh, you know, out from underneath you and do some damage. So I, don't, I, th- I think it, I think you're right, Macker. I think it says more about Sydney's form line than anything else. Oh, it does it? It says badly about Sydney. Yeah. Um, then uh, today we had North Melbourne uh, getting up somewhat surprisingly over West Coast and certainly keeping their finals hopes alive, just showing how difficult it is to win there down there at Blundstone and West Coast with a couple of very key last-minute outs as well. Uh, North Melbourne, 81-41. to 41. Anyone see that one? Yeah, it's all a bit too. I actually got, uh, ended up stopped watching. Uh, North Melbourne liked to win ugly, and uh, they did win ugly. It's, uh, they're, not a great, they're not a great team to watch. I don't, I don't get a lot of enjoyment out of watching them. Um, who, were the, who were the outs? Because I was on my... Um, Kennedy I was, was one, a, I think. Yeah, oh. Kennedy. See, I tip West Coast, and if I knew that, I would have bloody changed my tip. Yeah. Um, Hawthorne having a very solid win over Fremantle away at uh, Optus Stadium. Uh, Hawthorne one one two to Fremantle 53. So Fremantle, I think, looking for the finishing line too. No, after watching the Bulldogs and Port Island all done, I could be blowed watching that. Yeah. And uh, the uh, power getting up over a disappointing Western Bulldogs out there at Ballarat um, late this afternoon. Who, who'd want to be playing a late Sunday afternoon game at bloody Ballarat? In, um, in fairness to the players out there, at, at the time they were playing, the apparent temperature was as low as minus 5.2 degrees. Well, and you, you wait until we play GWS in a couple of weeks in Canberra on a Saturday night. <laughs> oh, that brings back memories of when I lived there and played footy myself. Who that was not bloody, fun. Who the bloody hell scheduled that game? Um, I mean, you know, they, they actually... Well, uh, we know who did. Port Adelaide had a microwave oven and they had heat packs, which they were heating up to give to the players as they come off. <laughs> and uh, Sam Powell Pepper's putting a cap on his head and he comes off. It, they, were, they were freezing. Oh, and it's uh, ridiculous. And it was, you know, it was... a a very, very poor quality game, and um, Port just won up with their overall intensity and ran away with it at the end. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, After they've been called a bunch of whingers. Well, they still are. Um, so that leaves us with an uh, interesting ladder. Uh, still a few teams out of the eight in the hunt. Uh, Richmond, West Coast, Collingwood and Port making up the top four, a win clear of GWS, Melbourne, Hawthorne and Geelong in the eight, and Sydney just out of the eight, all on 11 wins. Uh, North Melbourne and Essendon still in the hunt on 10 wins. Adelaide uh, mathematically still in the hunt, but surely, surely we're done and dusted now on 9 wins and 98%. Um, And then Frio, Bulldogs, St Kilda, Brisbane, Gold Coast and Carlton rounding out the ladder. Um, And, yeah, on that we may as well get straight into the uh, Crows and D's wrap, I think. Get ugly. Damn, that's ugly. Yeah, unfortunately, that song applies again today. <laughs> Have you actually had another? I've, I've, I haven't I remember had to. any other song all year. It's no, only been that one. I haven't had to, and that's probably indicative of our season, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. But oh, we're still yeah, here. Man. Yeah, we're still here. Um, look, in the end, um, Melbourne too strong in that uh, after a, a brilliant third quarter. Um, too strong in the end. Thirteen goals, twelve ninety. 
to Adelaide, 10 goals, 17-77 in front of 45 and a bit thousand cold and wet fans. Um, look, I've got to say, in the end, um, not a unsurprising loss, but under the, the, the manner in which the match was played, a very disappointing loss. Um, being in it for quite some time and then just basically giving it away in the third quarter and leaving far too much to do in the last and uh, in the end, you know, falling a couple of couple of goals short and basically putting all but one last nail in our coffin. And yeah. it, all it came back to was losing Seisman in the first quarter, that third quarter. It uh, was that no watching watching them at the ground, Macca, They just could not run. Um, it was like through trickle, and we only got back into it in that last in a way because that rain came in. A lot of, and yet lot of... I got pissed off every time they actually started to go down forward. The rain would stop. That was not fair. Oh, a lot of factors in the in the game, Nikki, apart from Siegeman, who and that is one of the factors. Yeah, uh, but that really did hurt us. But, but I think there's a you know it was a complex uh, loss in the sense that that was one of the factors. Um, in that first quarter, we dominated play and we wasted the ball um, and we we missed shots for goal that we should have got, so which was another factor. The uh, Eddie Betts um, still got the yips from set shots, won't won't take them, and passing off and messing up the opportunity for goal in that first quarter. So that was another factor. Um, the uh, uh, two to goals that Miller, fair, gave, Miller, 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 Miller yeah. gave away. Um, after an excellent game, a top game, apart that two crucial goals he gave away, uh, a goal that, that, that Melbourne got given to them for a push in the back uh, from um, uh, McGovern, which he never touched him at all, and, and given by the umpire 50 metres up the field, not the one in play. Um, um, uh, do we want to talk about... Yes, Stevic, do we want to talk about uh, Greenwood? Absolutely superb contested, Mark. Uses his body in the side. Yeah. But Gorn, being Gorn, fakes for the free kick and the umpire in the middle calls it and the one that actually had the perfect view of it had called play on at the time. And and a big factor that which we haven't mentioned yet is the uh, coaching in the third quarter, they should be whipped for allowing what, just going for the whole quarter where uh, we had our loose man in defence, they had an extra man at the clearances and they think they won the clearances something like, I can't remember the exact numbers, but 17-4 or 19 17-2. 17-2. I mean, a thrashing, and which meant the ball's only going to go in one bloody direction. And um, we did a uh, Neil Craig, uh, uh, Pikey did, and just stuck to that bloody uh, losing formula. And uh, I thought an atrocious bit of coaching. Yeah, I can't disagree with you, um, Maka. Uh, there were some perplexing things. Uh, th- that one in particular, letting them having an extra around the contest, um, and it was Clayton Oliver that absolutely destroyed us. Um, he doesn't use the ball terribly well, but Jesus Christ, he just kept getting it in that third quarter. Um, and I was just waiting for them to put a hard tag on him, uh, and they never did. They never did. Um, no. And oh, well, they, they did a bit in the first half, but not so much in the second half. Well, we, what we were doing was like um, when I talked about about Geelong, we, we were doing that pressuring around quite well. And because they couldn't run the third, they couldn't create that pressure, which is why they were getting out so easily. But those first two quarters, though, I thought we played superbly well against Gorn. And he was getting so frustrated because we were roving to him. 
Um, and I actually felt that uh, JJ and Sauce were playing him quite well when they were going up against him. Um, but once again, he is very much a protected species. He's allowed to get away with things that other Ruckman are not allowed to. Mm. Well, I, I, um, I, I disagree. I'm not, well, I, I thought the um, – uh, I'd love to be able to uh, sit there with the umpires and, and when you see a Tiggy Touchwood free, given in other positions where you, where, you, where you just lay a figure on them and they pay a free kick, yet you watch two Ruckman absolutely – uh, it looks like you know uh, WWW. That, that they are they are wrestling with each other and throwing each other to the ground, and it's, there's no free kick. I just don't think. Remember that I thought they put in a rule you had to start a meter off a part or something, um, and then you know come in for the ruck contest. And but they they were just physically wrestling each other. Um, it, it's just incredible to watch that, and, uh, and I can't understand how. Uh, is it, uh, umpiring has deteriorated to that point where that's just uh, regarded as acceptable. Well, here's a, here's a, before we get into um, the stats tonight, here, here's a stat for you that indicates how the game changed after quarter time. At quarter time or thereabouts, we were 15 to 15 clearances, so we're equal on clearances. We were 56 to 47 up on contested possession. Um, we were... Down two on standard clearances, but up two on uh, stoppage clearances. We had 300 more metres gained. We're 29 to 19 on score involvements. Uh, we had six less turnovers than they did. We'd taken five more intercept marks than they did. We'd had eight to three tackles inside 50. That's all at quarter time, gentlemen. Not one of yeah. those, and lady, I should say, not one of those stats did we win by the end of the contest, not one of them. So it just shows you the capitulation after quarter time, um, and even though we were in the game for a little while after quarter time, essentially the writing was on the wall. I, I was, you know, texting back and forth with my son, and we started to call it halfway through the second quarter that we'd, we'd kept them in the game, we'd been wasteful, um, and we were starting, as you said, Nikki, and I agree with you, we started to look cooked. Yeah. Um, it was just ridiculous. Um, anyway, let's go through some head-to-head stats. Um, it was 371 to 345 disposals. Um, North Melbourne, uh, sorry, Melbourne, far more happy to use handball. Uh, we're very much a 2-to-1 kick ratio, or 1.75-to-1 kick to handball ratio, whereas Melbourne were closer to 1-to-1. One one. Uh, as a consequence, marks in our favour, 70-to-56, although marks inside 50, uh, we lost 6-to-9, and contested marks were pretty much even, 7-to-6. We out-tackled them 103 to 90. Um, Source got absolutely, absolutely slaughtered in the ruck. 44 to 74 hit-outs. Um, we can't complain about too, the umpiring too much because it was 22 to 15, and I know it's not about the numbers, but we got enough freeze. Um, no, it's not. No, no, it's not about the numbers. And as a former umpire, it is never about the numbers. No, it's, well, about, the correct, it's about the correct decisions. My my, my whinge about the umpires is purely about Stevic because he absolutely cooked us. Um, he did. Whenever he, he had did. the opportunity. Clearances, uh, as I mentioned, we were 15 to 15 at quarter time clearances. We ended up losing that stat 39 to 59. So that's a massive capitulation in clearances after quarter time. 
Uh, rebound 50, 31 to 34. Inside 50 is 51 to 50, so we certainly got it in there often enough. Um, contested posies uh, ended up being even, 179 to 178. Uh, uncontested possessions, 188 to 166. Now, uncontested possessions was another stat that that increased as our effectiveness decreased. So there's a, I'll go through a couple of key stats in a minute, but uncontested possessions, we were tracking pretty much one-to-one with Melbourne through that first quarter. And then as we as they started to work into the game, that stat started to skyrocket in our favour. And what that indicates to me is that we just weren't prepared to take risks. We weren't prepared to take chances. But it also, those stats that you were just saying confirm what I was saying about what we were doing by playing a loose man in defence, that's where we picked up a lot of our un- uncontested yep. possessions. Yep. And But they were doing it. They were winning the clearances because we were one short there. And therefore means that for the, the only, there's only going to be one team attacking. And, to me, and to me, Macca, um, it's lazy football because we decided not to hunt the ball around the contest and instead we tried to get them on the turnover. We... we uh, uh, North uh, Melbourne, sorry, turned it over ninety to our sixty-nine. So, uh, and our intercept marks were ninety to seventy. So it shows me that we were sitting back off the ball and allowing them entries, and then relying on our man in defence. But the problem with that was that our transition from the back half was horrendously slow, and we couldn't get into the corridor. Melbourne guarded the corridor pretty well. And we just continually kept going up and down the line and, and our switching was did, slow. Yeah. Uh, when we did try to switch, it was slow. Um, and uh, really, to me, it seemed like we just... I don't know whether it's a game's plan or whether it's a mindset, but it was. it's very apparent from these stats and, and the way that I've been able to track them this week confirms it as well very apparent that as soon as they Melbourne started to get back into the contest, we lost control of the coalface, gave it up and relied on sitting behind the ball and turning the ball over and trying to get run, uh, trying to get scores on the rebound. Well, that's absolutely true. That's what happened. But structurally, we were, we were always going, that was always going to be the case because we were allowing them to have, to win the clearances virtually. So, um, it's going to it's just not going to be that way, and well, we didn't in the first quarter, and and, and look at the results that were there. Uh, well, um, the way we controlled it, we had, that, had a that's much what Phoenix's stretch. stats. Yeah, that's what Phoenix's stats are all talking about. Was that absolute brilliant control we had in that first quarter, which is what I was talking about before, and then it just went to shit. Um, well, as I and, said, and, you know, you want to know who the one of the worst culprits of that is? Matt Crouch. I was so pissed off at him. Yeah, well, I'm not going to pick out any individual like that because um, I, I just think that um, as a team we were we were, fu- we were functioning pretty well, uh, and when the coach when the coach decided to throw the man behind the ball, well, I just when in the set, it actually started probably late in the second quarter because they were starting to get a bit of into the game a bit more, a bit of panic by the coaches, and they had that particular structure and. Uh, and all that did was just in, make, ensure that Melbourne were going to become the dominant team and we were going to become the, de- the defensive team. And as uh, Phoenix quite correctly said, our movement out of the back lines was atrocious at times. It was mainly down the line. Um, when we were at our best, we come out of a, a defence in a zigzag-type fashion. 
where, as I said, we change the angles and we catch them offline, but we didn't see too much of that. Well, Melbourne started to come back at us, really, at around about the 20-minute mark of the second quarter, right? Yep. At, at that same point, our uncontested possessions went from minus one, so Melbourne had one more uncontested possession to us, to within the space of two minutes, it went to plus 12, right? And then it continued to arrive. By the end of that quarter, we were running at plus 19 uncontested possessions. Mm-hmm. At the same time, our contested possessions went from plus nine to uh, plus four, and it early in the third quarter it went into the negative territory. Sources' hit out started to wane. Uh, he'd been holding his own. I mean, Gorn had an advantage. I think we were sitting at minus ten hit outs halfway through the second quarter. By the end of the game, we were minus thirty. Um, like, there's a definite pattern if you track. The, the stats throughout the game, that all the pressure stats go down from halfway through the second quarter and all the uncontested stats go up substantially after halfway through the second quarter. And it's and it tracks almost almost exactly the same as the scoreline. Almost exactly. Now, that's either tactics from the coach, as you say, Macca, or it's a mindset by the players. Um, and... My honest opinion is it's a mindset from the players. Well, no, I, I'm not saying the, the mindset of the players didn't come into it. I'm just saying that the coach, the coaching staff didn't help with what the, they'd originally set up. And then once they'd set it up that way, I, um, well, you know, we just got slaughtered in the clearances after quarter time, slaughtered. And, and well, not only were we one short compared but to them at the clearances, but we seem to have this, and we've spoken about this many, many times, that our midfielders tend to all rush at the ball, whereas the opposition can go one or two at the ball with the others on the outside to take the ball when it comes out. Mm. And we got caught with that so many times, particularly in the third quarter. The, the, the ball was just being taken there almost at will. Um, Oliver, it was just, uh, who is a handball uh, freak, could just, it seems to prefer to do that to kicking, um, and then actually, there was actually two guys had 35 handballs between them here. Yeah. I can't remember uh, between them, which would really change the ratio of the two teams. But um, no, I, I just think that um, um, I'm very, very critical of our coaching staff for the for the game, and uh, and I think our midfielders didn't help as well with the way that they did approach it. And well, and, and and also up forward too. I mean. Um, we went back to that um, overloaded heavy forward line with one too many tall, and uh, it, it certainly didn't work either. Now, I mean, a, a classic is Hugh Greenwood. Had five possessions, or sorry, six possessions before anyone had a chance to blink. Um, and now, four clearances. Four clearances. And then... What, did they take him out of the bloody midfield rotation or something? Because he just went quiet. No, they didn't. He was still in there. It looked to me like they'd sent him forward for half the bloody game. He spent a lot of time at forward, Nicky. Yeah, but that was the normal numbers that he does. And we know why they do that, because he can't sustain it in the middle. He was spending a bit more time in the middle from what I normally see. That's what it appeared to be. But Melbourne then just made sure they could shut down and block him because he was being that dominant. 
He had four clearances at the eight-minute mark of the first quarter. Uh, he got his next clearance. Let me just have a look. Was it in the last quarter? Uh at the beginning of the last quarter, and that was his last one. He had no centre clearances and five stoppage clearances. He had four of those five stoppage clearances in the first ten minutes and got one more for the game. Like, how does that happen? He was in there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think he spent a little bit more time up forward, in the, particularly in the second half, Nicky. You know, mm. oh no, that's normally uh, when he would be on the bench. That he would go up forward and then he'd be on the bench. He had to stay on the ground longer, and they left him up forward for that. But in terms of normal time in the middle, etc., it seemed about right for me. Matt Crouch, Matt Crouch, at the beginning of the second quarter had five clearances. He had one in the third quarter, and that was it for him for the rest of the game. No center clearances, six stoppage clearances. So they're our two inside ball winners. They did nothing basically after quarter time until that last quarter when we were pushing to win. That they're our two main midfielders. Um, you know what's going? Is that is that coaching? Is that positioning? What is it? It's a combination of many things, isn't it? It's, it's partly the coaching, but it's also them as well, of course. Rory and, Sloan. Uh, Rory Sloan. Two. Two uh, clearances, both stoppage clearances in the first quarter. His next clearance was at the beginning of the last, or just before the beginning of the last, and that was his last. Well, Roy was very, very heavily tagged, of course. And, it doesn't uh, matter, Macca. No, no. The point I was about to make once again: he's one of the few players that can't shake off a, a really heavy tag. You know, he, he's he's just signed a five-year deal as as our essentially our marquee player. Correct. And if you can't shake a tag, then that's why we, like, all due respect to Rory, because we all love him and we know he's a bull and tries his guts out and all the rest of it and doesn't get looked after by the umpires at all. But the simple matter, fact of the matter is that he has a massive problem with the tag. They just sat Bernie on him all night, pretty much. Yep, they they, 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 they rode him and he didn't, and he didn't well, he, he just can't do it. Or he certainly didn't do it on the night. Anyway, let's go um, through some individual stats and then we might delve in a little bit deeper again on some of those. And if anyone's wondering, um, I was able to track the stats throughout the match uh, last night, which is why we're a little bit more in-depth than we normally would be. Um, look, we had Matty Crouch on 32 touches, 14 and 18. Uh, three marks, kicked behind, eight tackles, which is a good stat. Four inside, 57 clearances. Uh, one rebound, 50, 21 contested possessions, uh, only went at 53% disposal efficiency um, and only gained us 142 metres uh, in terms of uh, uh, moving the ball forward. So I don't know. I mean, Matty, I'm, I'm starting to be a bit more critical in terms of my analysis of Matt Crouch because for all the numbers he's getting, he's not terribly effective in my in my opinion. Well, and that's yeah. why I was so angry with him last night. Yeah, but he's only one of the midfield. And, and, um, yeah, but we're dealing with individual performances now, Macca. I know, I know he's that. the main but, one in there, Macca. Can I just say something? No. Um, <laughs> it, 
Um, he at least he did it, he did get it thirty two bloody times. And I mean, whether you're very effective or not, if the whole team got it thirty two times, you'd win the bloody game. So uh, all I can say is that yes, the, your criticism of what of the various points there are correct, Phoenix. But he still gets a pass mark in my case, in, in, in my book, anyhow. For at least he had the effort to get the bloody thirty-two ball thirty-two times. Yeah. Well, he had five disposals at twenty percent in the first quarter. Uh, he was up to around the second quarter. He was up around the fourteen disposals at forty-two percent. Um, by the end of the third quarter, he was up around the twenty-seven disposals at fifty-one percent. So he really wasn't all that effective, Macca. Let's be honest. You know, it's yeah, no point. No point getting the ball ten times at thirty percent. Well, you know, it's better than getting it paid ten times at fifty percent. No, it, no, it's not because it's no, turning it's the ball over. I, I thought <laughs> look, he was he was one of our better players. No, I no, disagree. A hundred thousand no. percent. I thought he was ineffective. <laughs> well, we yes, disagree. Precisely. Simply, simply to disagree. I he just was. He's exceptionally ineffective last night, Macca, unfortunately. We've started to see him build back to his form last week and now he's dropped off that cliff once again. And it just it appeared to be he didn't want to go in and get it. He didn't want to um, really try and fight for that ball in that body position, which is really unusual. And I have no idea what was going on. And he was sitting on the outside. He was sitting on the outside when he should have been on the inside. How many and of course, they know he's slow. They exploited him beautifully. Yeah, but Nikki, how many contested positions did he get? I don't care because they were shit. Every single one of them. All right. Well, you you got your opinion, and I've got mine, and we just about. And I'm not saying he was superb. I'm just saying that. At least he gave something towards the game, and if everybody no, he didn't. He did not. I, I, to me, he felt such a liability out there. Jesus. Okay, let's move on. Well, no, Maka, you can't just dismiss that because I agree with Nikki, and the stats and the stats back it up. What I'm saying is, if you at least we got the effort to get the ball 32 times, irrespective of what happened to it after that, at least you've made the effort to get the bloody ball. Well, it's not got, much of an effort when he's effort. got to make two steps. He's right at the contest. Yeah, that's, that's the what thing. his job he's, is. He's you, right there. He should be getting it quite a bit. It's then what he does with it, and what he did with it was very poor, very poor. Well, and I see you know BB in uh, chat says so nothing touches, and I disagree with that too. Um, the point is, at least he's. You have to. You've got to put in effort to get to get the ball, and at least he's getting that. Um, and okay, not a perfect game by a long, long way. And I'm not, and I've qualified my comment for that all the way through. But um, look, if a guy gets 32 possessions, do you think he's had a shit game? Well, I would say, hate to say what he's saying, going to say about some of the ones got about eight or nine. Because no, it's nothing to do with possessions. If you know Eddie only gets eight or nine cut, touches, but he kicks five goals. Then he's had a good game, but he didn't. No, but he didn't. No, but we're talking about. But that's that's that same thing. So, an amount of number of touches does not pertain to quality, and this is what I hate about this rise in football fantasy and super coach and all that. That players are getting overrated because of statistics that actually are detrimental to their team winning. It might help you win in fantasy football, but it will not 
help you do well in an actual team if the quality of those touches are not there. We let's move on. Yeah, we just going to disagree all night, so let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got to got to be able to use the ball, Mac. Um, Look, I agree with you. I agree with you. And he did. You've also got to get the bloody thing to use it in the first place. Yeah, but if it's your job to get it, right? It then that's an expectation. Job, you still have to get it. But it's an expectation. You can't get a ball by expecting to get it. You have to go and get it. Well, all right. Well, here we go then. Like, who do you reckon's a better player, Matt Crouch or Clayton Oliver? Because um, Clayton Matt, Oliver, Clayton Oliver got it thirty-one well, what, times. He yeah, had 14, 14 clearances. He had twenty five contested possessions, right? And gained about sixty. He gained, which was about team average on the night. He gained nearly four hundred meters. Does a heap of nothing handballs. Are you kidding me? He gained nearly four hundred meters. We got one hundred and forty meters out of Matt Crouch. No, look, I'm not saying he didn't have a good game, but a lot of I'm saying a lot of his handballs are still nothing. <laughs> I saw him kick a lot of the ball forward. To be honest with you, Macca. But anyway, let's move on. Bryce or Gibbs. Or actually giving um, handballs to people on the move. Bryce Gibbs, 15 and 12 for 27. He had three marks, yep. kicked a goal, uh, seven tackles, which was a good stat, three inside 50s, five clearances, uh, one rebound 50, had 16 contested possessions, which was up for him, went at 63%, which was uh, certainly team average on the night. Nearly 400 metres gained. He had... Uh, four stoppage and one centre clearance, five score involvements and five intercept possessions. So overall, I think Bryce's game wasn't too bad. Yeah, that was a better game from him and that was a very nice goal he kicked. I've got no opinion. It doesn't count. I was happy with with his game. Yeah, it's... uh, uh, it's sometimes difficult to understand the role that he's playing, um, Gibbsy. Uh, it's interesting too that all of his like he had no clearances uh, in the first half, none. Not it's not his role. His role is we, we actually did recruit him to be that outside. Sorry, player. no no stoppage clearances, uh, no centre clearances. I should say. Um, he wasn't in there that often. He started on the bench. Spent a lot of time up forward time. Uh, forward yeah, he well. did. He did come on and go into the midfield, but that's um, I think at the time that Greenwood started to become dominant. Yeah, and then he also moved to forward a, a little bit as well. But he was playing a bit more outside. Yeah, well, for someone who was playing up forward, he only had four score involvements for the uh, sorry five score oh. involvements for the night. I was quite angry when he was up forward because he was get, not getting the ball up there. And, in fact, most of the time he was up there, the ball wasn't going there. And I'm thinking, what a lovely way to take a good player out of the game. Yeah. Um, halfway through that third quarter, he got his first stoppage clearance. But he had zero stoppage clearances in the, in the first half um, and only one for the game. Now, this is a bloke that we employed as our Rolls-Royce midfielder. What the hell are we doing playing him anywhere but as our outlet player around stoppages. Why are we well, you, playing him anywhere else but there? We're in the same tram there. I cannot understand why we put him in these other roles. Uh, he was on the wing at one stage. He was up in the forward pocket uh, for quite a while there at one stage. And I'm thinking to myself, we, we are wasting this guy. He's one of our most talented players. He's a marquee player that we brought in. And we're actually keeping him out of the game. I, as I said, I had a lot of criticism of the coaching last night. 
poor bugger's turned into Mr. Fix-It, just like he was at Carlton. I agree, Nikki. I agree 100,000%. They are plugging gaps with him. And for that bloke only to have three inside 50s. And when the ball was in his area, invariably, um, he was in amongst it. But why are you playing him as a bloody forward? Seriously, like... It's an absolute waste of money. Uh, three inside 50s, one stoppage clearance for the game. Just, you might as well not play him. You you could play Patrick Wilson in that bloody role. Just ridiculous. Anyway, uh, Wayne Miller, um, interested on your thoughts there. 17 and 9 for 26, took 7 marks, 6 tackles, um, 4 clangers, a couple of very noticeable clangers. <laughs> Five, five rebound 50s, 12 contested possessions, went at nearly 77% disposal efficiency. Um, I thought he had got a, a, really good, a, a really good game, except for those uh, two major clangers, which mm. cost goals. Um, uh, just it really play. gave them momentum. They were it, four, it four times. And they were yeah. stupid decisions he made. They were. They were. Because um, he had free players and he went for the risky inboard kick. You're 100% right, Nicky, and uh, it's a pity, you know, Wayne will, will learn from that, and I think he... No, we didn't yeah. learn from the first time. He got told off after the first one, then he went, but he did it again. I don't mean just in the game, Nicky, I mean long term, but um, he's going to be a very, very good player in the long run, but that, they, they were a couple of stupid decisions, and they were very costly in the overall uh, result of the game. I did think we were playing him in... Um... Duday's role. That's what it looked like, and he was very both him and Cheney. Maka, you're feeding back, mate. You turn mm. your headset down a little bit. Yep. Um, yeah, you're probably right, Nick. Um, I reckon when seeds went off, we pushed Miller a little bit to, a little bit higher. Um, because he certainly started to come into the game a lot more once Seedsman went off. His stats in the first quarter weren't all that great. He only had three touches uh, in the first quarter and then kind of exploded in the second and ended up at half time with 13 and three. So, you know, he had 13, 13 touches in that second quarter um, and seven marks in that second quarter. So, And they were good marks. Yeah, so certainly when Seed came off, he, he certainly took on that role. And I thought he... Look, to be honest with you... One of the best things that I've seen all season is Wayne Miller offend off everyone except Simon Goodwin in the bloody coach's box in that Melbourne team to get himself free. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, you know, he's still a young player and I'm happy to see him take chances. Uh, it was unfortunate that a couple of those ones were pretty major snafus. Um, but we're entrusting a fairly major role, basically our quarterback role mm. on, on a 20-year-old kid. And before that, we were entrusting it on a first-year player, Tom Today. You know, we're, we're comparing that to someone like Hawthorne who used to use Luke Hodge in that role, and you can see the difference in experience. So it's just a pity that a David McKay can't assume that role or, you know, a Richard Douglas... But we have to rely on these young lads, and I think whilst we're relying on these young lads to play such key roles in our transition, um, then we need to be prepared to put up with a couple of errors. Yeah, there's a key there though um, between Hodge and Miller, first round draft picks. 
So they have. There's a lot. There was a. There's a lot of talent going on. Yeah, but the, I mean that that's that, that's the why, Nick, and I accept the yeah. why. But the 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 outcome, the consequence, and the thing that you have to consider is that we're asking an inexperienced kid to play what other teams would consider a, a pivotal role, which is that quarterback, that distributor role. Um, Seisman's been playing yeah. it really well for us this year. We've had Brody Smith do it for us in the past as well. At the moment, because of our personnel issues, we're, we're entrusting that role on, on Wayne Miller. And I thought, you know, barring those couple of snafus, he did a like it, to me, it was a breakout game for Wayne in terms of taking initiative, taking the game on, taking chances, and showing us a bit of the flair that we saw from him in his in his draft year. Yeah, I, I agree with all that, and I think that uh, in spite of those two very very costly errors, and uh, you have to take that with putting a young kid in that role. Uh, I thought overall he was one of our better players. Yep. Yeah, I was going to nominate him for the breakout role, even in spite of those absolute clangers, which frustrated the hell out of me. Yep. But it's interesting, when he did those clangers last week against Brisbane, third quarter. Mm. This week, third quarter. So it's obviously there's that little lapse in judgment or something. Well, it's under, it's under real pressure. I don't think it's necessarily yeah. like a judgment. I think it's pressure. Um, you know, and... Um, as I said, we just don't. Uh, the only other bloke that we've got down the back there that can do that is Rory Laird, and he does his fair share of the the heavy lifting down the back there. Um, but um, good on Wayne Miller for getting involved. Uh, Twenty six disposals is by far and away his highest disposal count, I believe. And you know, yeah. despite the clangers, basically seventy seven percent disposal efficiency on a night where both teams went at around sixty. Well, you know, I've been going harping on about the coaching, but uh, I thought we're Goodwin again. Um, not only did he uh, tag um, uh, Rory Sloan, but also Laird was in our back line was very heavily tagged as well, and made his life was made a lot more difficult than normal as well. So, mm. you know, I think Goodwin is going to be a very, very good coach, or is a very good coach. He um, he really certainly covered our some of our key players very well. I, Maka, I don't disagree, and he's had good raps on him, Simon Goodwin. I don't think we're very hard to coach against, though, to be perfectly honest with you. Do you reckon we're a difficult team to coach against? <laughs> not, with the, not with the lack of reaction. Well, I don't even think we're proactive. I mean, Pikey no, in his I... press has said that we were reactive in, uh, during parts of the game. Um, but I, I don't feel the coach's box is proactive at all. I don't, I, I don't feel – I think you, you basically you come up against the Crows, you know what you're going to get, and you know that pretty much if you counter it, you've won the game. There's not a I lot of shuffling of the decks going on. Sorry, mate. I'm, not, I'm agreeing with you. I'm saying I'm very, very critical of our, co- our coaching box on, on the, on the in, for this particular game. I thought, you know, Goodwin totally outcoached them. Mm-hmm. But then again, that was that was the same story last year, though, Phoenix, and it's exactly the same story as if you look at going up against Sydney, you know exactly how they're going to play. And going up against Richmond is the quality of being able to stick to that game plan for long periods of time, and we can't do that anymore. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, there's, uh, I think the difference between a, a Hawthorne or a Geelong of years past is their ability to shuffle their team around. And what I don't see a huge amount from us is um, 
shuffling the team around. Like, you know, I was amazed that Mitch McGovern didn't spend more time down back because we, we were clearly too tall up forward. And over the last few weeks, we've looked quite potent up forward, particularly because we've played smaller. We've had a yeah. faster a faster forward 50. We've had a more defensively aggressive forward 50. We've been able to get repeat entries and we've been able to score off them. But last night it was back to the big tall lumbering forwards on what turned out to be a wet deck for at least half the night. None of them could take a contested mark. We had blokes running to the same zones, Jenkins and, and Tex and McGovern all running to the same spots all the time. Yeah. And yeah. Lynch basically looking as if someone had chopped his bloody left leg off because he, he wasn't doing anything. Lynch was on the wing. Yeah, playing very like we high. Playing so yeah. He was playing even higher than normal, and mm. that impacted on Tex because normally it's Tex, Lynchy, and that wingman working together. Well, and see, um, this, and this, of course, it just completely mucked it up. This is my this is my problem, Nikki. Why, like Tom Lynch is our key conduit player, and yet you play him high on the wing like that, and he looked. He looked absolutely lost. He was he was out of yep. position. He he was not involved in transition work at all because he was too high up the ground. We've got play, why didn't they play Gallucci off the wing? A fast, uh, I did in the last quarter. Yeah, well, and look what happened. We came back. Yeah, I actually would like. Um, I think Gov could play on a wing. Yeah, Gov could play on the wing. We just needed someone to play that position and Tom Lynch he's a gut runner but he's not a fast runner you no, know we need him we need him hitting up the wingman from coming up from half forward we don't yeah. need him at the wing because he's got nowhere to run he's got no ability then to use his key strength which is his ability to outrun his opponent um out gut run his opponent because he's got no space to work into so i just another one of the, what i a bunch of baffling coaching moves in my view uh, I agree with you uh, Mac uh, Rory Laird 11 and 14 for 25 uh, one mark uh, kicked a point uh, four tackles uh, three clearances three rebound 50s he had 11 contested possessions went at 72% uh, three stoppage clearances four score involvements got us 264 metres gained and took eight intercept possessions what do we think about Rory's game yeah, not bad. He, 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 yeah, that's correct, Nick. He did battle because he was he was uh, given a lot of attention. They they realise that he is one of the guys that is gets gets a heap of it in our back line and distributes it out, it out very well. And uh, they really did try to neutralise that. And uh, Roy had to battle to get the, the ball, whereas a lot of times in the past he's been getting it very easily. So I still thought he played a good game, but uh, nowhere near the dominance that he normally does have. Yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't disagree with that. I I felt like his last quarter was good. I I felt like when the game was on the line, he really dug in um, uh, and got involved. His numbers didn't increase terribly much after three-quarter time, but I just felt like his overall effort um, lifted another gear around the ball. Um, So, But uh, you're right. And see, this is how we're predictable. there's There's certain key players you need to shut down. And Rory really? Laird's Rory Laird's one of them. I mean, Melbourne were unlucky that Miller got off the hook, but imagine if Miller and, Miller hadn't and, stood up. And Cheney. Yeah, exactly. Well, Cheney's a 
Chini's a rock down the back there. Well, because but that's what happened is we went okay, and and Lady quite happily actually sat on players because they were that little bit smaller. So he's like, "Yep, okay, not a problem. I'll do this." And so we instigated Chini being the free man, mm. um, and because he reads the ball so beautifully, and his hands are just so sure. Well, and he's just he's a, he's unflappable. He doesn't panic. Um, you know, he's he's quite good at making the right decisions under very, you know, large pressure. So uh, I like Cheney's game. Uh, Tommy Lynch. Um, Tommy Lynch. We had uh, 18 and 4 for 22 possessions, took seven marks, two tackles, three inside 50s, two rebound 50s, only four contested possessions, went at a massive 31.8% disposal efficiency. Uh very low for him too because normally he's playing up forward uh, as a link man and uh, distributing the ball to the forwards. Yeah, still got his 468 metres gained and had six score involvements. But uh, considering that, uh, as you say, Maka, he's that linchpin. I, I, I just felt like because he was so high up the ground, he was operating in reduced space. Um, as I said, he couldn't operate uh, running into that free space and his... And his DE suffered terribly as a consequence. Like at yeah, one, at one stage in the middle of the second quarter, he was down to twenty-two percent disposal efficiency hmm. on on nine possessions. I had to keep checking he was on the field because, yeah. like, where is he? And yeah. he wasn't in the normal spots that you could see, and he wasn't in the normal spots that a wingman should be in. Well, because he's not a wingman, is he? No, he kind of plays as one. But, but he runs into that, that zone. High up. He plays into yes. that. He runs into he that starts. zone, Nick. Yeah, yeah. He, he starts got further he's back. Got a, he's got a zone, and then the zone is basically, you know, somewhere between about forty meters out from goal, and and maybe as high as the wing, but not playing on the wing going back. So, uh, yeah, he was just he was lost. I mean, I yeah, think because and you and you're right, Phoenix, because he starts that further back. That that's how he gets it because he's not quicker but he does those repeat leads and creates the space. Hmm. And because he was too high up, he can't do that. No, There's that's too right. too many players in his way. That's right. And I think normally we play him on the same side of the ground that we tend to play our defensive wingman as well. Yeah. And that also, because often he'll start, you know, on on the side of the centre square um, at, at centre bounces and we have that, that other, the, the actual wingman starting towards the back. Um, but uh, it was quite noticeable that he was right up on the wing for large periods of the game. And as we've pointed out, it didn't bloody work. Um, but also, he looks sluggish again. You know, there are times where Tommy Lynch just looks like he's not 100%. It's quite amazing. Running through treacle. Yeah. Um, Riley Knight, uh, 9-13 and 13 for 22, had five marks, uh, nine tackles, as you'd expect, uh, five clearances, three rebound 50s. Nine contested possessions when at seventy-seven percent disposal efficiency, um, four stoppage clearances, three score involvements, uh, and three intercept possessions. As I mentioned at the outset, I, I felt like he was actually more involved than some of our regular midfielders in the midfield rotations. Is that how you guys saw it? Yeah, it definitely was, and uh, he loves a good scrap, and he certainly uh, got involved in plenty of them. I liked his game actually. Uh, particularly his first half, I thought he was more effective in the first half than the second half. Uh, but uh, overall, I thought he had a reasonably good game. 
And he was minding more than one player. So he was actually a little bit more on Clayton Oliver for a little bit and then he would go on to Brayshaw. So he was swapping back and forth between them, which was making them a little unsettled. Um, And that worked out quite well. But once we lost that extra midfield rotation, we had to change how we were using him. And that affected, I think, his game overall. But I really like him in the midfield. Um, He's instinctively, he works well around packs. um, And he's very good at supplying that secondary pressure. But he does go in and tries to create something as well. You're lovely hearted. Yeah, which is quite interesting from a tagger. He wants to be creative and he wants to be proactive as well. He wants to stop, but he then wants to get it himself or try and help us get it. The the only comment I'll make about Riley Knight and his involvement in the midfield is that I think his inclusion is the actual reason why we look so unbalanced around stoppage. And it's not because he's a bad player, but he's often assigned to an outside runner from the opposition, but he ends up getting his hands dirty. He ends up getting inside the contest um, just through his sheer will to 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 get the ball. And I think I think he's a very good run with player, and I think he's done some reasonably good jobs. But let's be honest, Clayton Oliver killed us, um, and the other lad whose name escapes me, um, Brayshaw. Yeah, Brayshaw. They killed us. And Petrarca. You know, so as much as having Riley Knight around the contest is great in terms of his ability to contest the ball, that's not actually what he's there for. He's he's around the contest to quell their outside run, and to that extent, he failed. Statistically, he failed. And yet, I agree with you, I think he had a good game, but he may have had a good game, but did he have the game we needed him to have? I'm not so sure. Well, quite a, a lot of the game, though, when they've got an extra midfield here, you, you you just can't stop the ball from coming out because they've got an extra man to give it to. So, uh, um, and and they have look they've got a quality midfield to start off with. So was it you, pick two, pick three, and pick five? Yeah, well, there's be something like that. Yeah, no, 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 but I'm not talking about quality. I'm talking about playing a role. And no, but I'm, what I'm saying is, you can, it, if you've got even numbers, you can certainly play a role and be a lot more effective than if you you you're trying to play that role and there's an extra person that can get the ball uh, that hasn't got a man on them. So, yeah, I but I, th- think- I think you're misunderstanding me. I think Riley and I is spending too much time inside the contest is what I'm trying to say. Oh, you, you prefer to see him a little bit more out? Well, no, I'd see I'd, he's supposed to be standing next to an outside runner. No, he's not supposed would. to be inside the contest. He's supposed to be, in this particular match, he was supposed to be next to Oliver, Petraka or Brayshaw. That was his role. He was he was stopping someone on the outside, and what we found is but that often he was. Don't. Yeah, but what I, I what I'm getting at is that his inclusion in that midfield rotation unbalances us, and I think it contributes to Hugh Greenwood having low numbers. I think it contributes to Matt Crouch's numbers. Those two blokes are our inside players, right? But often, if you have a look at the replay, often the the bloke getting up from the bottom of the pack is Riley Knight. Now, Riley Knight, as much as I love his tenacity and his desire to get the ball, he actually shouldn't be there. Brent's saying on on the chat that Oliver's an inside mid. Well, go and watch the replay, mate, and see how many times he was on the outside getting the receive because that's how they used him on Saturday night. Uh, I'd say that you're you're 100% right about Oliver. Uh, Oliver did play more outside than inside, Um 
on uh, the weekend. Yep. Um, look, I just think that I love Knight there, but I think he's got to actually, um, they've actually got to work out what role they want him to play. And to be perfectly honest with you, I think he's a more in- effective inside midfielder uh, in his own right. Whether he's got the engine to to run that sort of a, a game, um, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, he's up there. Um, he was only just a bit behind um, like Gibson and Kelly in the 2K. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when they did the repeat one, he's up there again. He I actually think, has a really good tank. I think Riley deserves to be uh, an integral part of our, uh, our midfield rotations rather than just a stopper. Uh, I think having having him as just a stopper is not only selling Riley Knight short, but it's also imba- uh, unbalancing our midfield. That's well, that's how I saw uh, it. It's hard to argue with that because that's how uh, it was unbalanced. So uh, you might well be right with that. Well, yeah, I was just, I mean, I was looking for a reason why, and, and that's the one that seemed to stick out to me, Macca. So right or wrong, I'm not sure. But that, that seems that seemed to me to be the, the one area where it, it just it didn't compute. Anyway, uh, Rory it, Atkins. See, it sorry, seems to make, I'll, just, I'll, I'll just say that seems to make a lot of sense to me, Phoenix. Mm. Rory Atkins, interested in your thoughts on his game, 16-5 and five for 21, three marks. Uh Kicked a goal, six tackles, five inside 50s, um, 10 contested possessions, only went at 57% efficiency, which was low for him, had 47%, uh, 47, sorry, 478 metres gained with five turnovers and six intercept possessions. How'd you see Rory Atkins? Uh, a bit like a bag of licorice, all sorts. You never knew what you're going to get out of it. Um, he did some very, very good things, and he did some very, very ordinary things. So, um, just a, a mixed performance, I thought. Uh, started off really well, some good pressure, actually got a great tackle and then goes to poo in the middle and then kind of when the rest of the team gets a bit of a run on, then he kind of shows up again. So, yeah, a bit like what Macca said. Yeah, had nine touches in the first dig uh, but only at 55% and turned it over a couple of times. But I felt like he was getting in amongst it. Um, yeah, he was. So he was seven at two at quarter time. Um, by half time, he was ten and two. So only the three touches in the second quarter, and I think that was indicative of our work rate and how the how the match started to turn in in uh, Melbourne's favour um, because the rat fell out of it. And again, in the third, he had what two kicks, three handballs in the third when they were running riot. Um, I feel like I feel like with Atkins, when the ball's not, when the run of the play is against us, he doesn't know what to do. So he just well, does he just does mm-hmm. nothing. That, that's what it seems to me. He doesn't he doesn't understand the, def- the the defensive side of the game. He's very good when the run of the play is going our way, and his just dis, uh, his disposal and his ability to to hit up targets is is fantastic, but. When when he's got to be defensively minded, I, I I just don't think he gets that side of the game. Yes and no, Phoenix. On the wing to be defensively minded, up higher, he doesn't actually know what to do, which is really weird for a wingman. But he is often used as our defensive wingman. He is the mm. one who's the last line who who minds that um, the goal square, and he reads the ball really well that way. And he often intercepts and stops a goal and gets us going because he's got that nice, beautiful, long kick. 
So it, it's such a conundrum that he can do that in that instance, but in his actual role as a wingman to be more defensive, to be more mindful of his player. Yeah, I think that's the then, key, Nikki. And I to think. be and then to be proactive getting it back, he doesn't know how to do that. What you mentioned just there about being accountable, I think, is the key. Yep. Yeah. Like you, t- I think- you talk about Rory's ability to get back. Sorry, Matt, go on. I was just going to say that um, what Nicky's talking about is slightly different than uh, what, what we were talking about. Uh, you're talking about Nicky uh, sitting back there, uh, playing a defensive role try- when, they, when they're clearing the ball to try and stop it from getting past and bring it back in again. But, uh, stoppages, um, he often does it so when we've got stoppages, etc., in the defensive area. But, he, but he's not a great uh, one-on-one uh, defensive uh, player. Yeah. No, he um, never has been. Look, I mean, I don't want to shoot you down, Nick, but Rory's heat map is basically 16 percent uh, possessions uh, between the arcs uh, and only three possessions in the defensive 50. Um, and his red zones are definite wing uh so, uh, yeah, and I don't being. disagree with you. He does run. He does get back yeah, at times, he's, but he he's, certainly he's didn't. Position there. Yeah, he certainly he may didn't. not get it all the time, mm-hmm. but that's where he's positioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, I guess that's the criticism on Rory, as it has been all along, is his inability to um, to put any sort of defensive pressure on his opponent or or act in any sort of defensive manner when he needs to. Um. To, to be fair to Rory, though, he mm. has been a bit harder at the ball since he's come back from the SNFL. Still not enough, mm. but he has improved a little bit. Mm. Sorry, I, he doesn't get a green light from me on that one. No, there's too did. many times. That's, that's, what, that's why I said little. Yeah, little. too many times I see him sit back when he needs to go. Um, yep, I agree with that. Anyway, uh, Huey Greenwood, another interesting uh, statistical game from Huey he absolutely started like a house on fire um just absolutely cutting him up he had you know uh the first I think he had the first four or five clearances of the game did he yeah something like that he was very busy early yeah yeah he had he had five possessions in the first eight minutes of the game um it just really set the tone early and then Disappeared. Only had one more possession for the quarter um, after the nine-minute mark, um, and I, I just—it just looked to me like they'd removed him from the game. What was his percentage of the time on ground for the whole game? Uh, let me just have a look here, Huey. Eighty-eight percent. They didn't have him on the had... bench. Your pun? Didn't have him on the bench. That's for sure. No, no, they. they... He did. He did uh, rest that, up. That's that's a bit more than normal for him, isn't it? Mm. It is more, but um, I'm, I've got a feeling that, that when Gibbs was uh, up forward, and then when he got relieved from being up forward, I think Greenwood went there. Mm, possibly. I don't know. Uh, Greenwood. Most most of Greenwood's possessions are on half back flank, a little bit in the middle, and a little bit up forward. But he had uh, 13 of his possessions between the arc, only two defensively and four in attack. So he was around the contest, but his ability to get in amongst it after that initial burst um, like, completely disappeared. Got to say his two goals are damn good goals, though. 
Oh, look, I don't know whether... I'd have to watch again to see whether it's a knock on Hugh or or whether it's how we're playing him because that's an extremely unusual statistic. Like if you start the game on fire, you're generally on fire. You know, you'll generally mm. have a good game. But his numbers ended up, you know, being, what, 17 and 4. I mean, they're, they're not bad numbers, but his clearance numbers are down. Only five uh, stoppage clearances for the game. Um, you know, he didn't hit the scoreboard um, as much to suggest that he was forward. He kicked 2-1, which is which is great. But And he had nine tackles, but... I don't know, just, again, it's another one. Considering how much we got smashed in clearances and contested possessions after, you know, halfway through the second quarter, these are the stats that I'm looking at going, well, where where does that capitulation come from? And as much as Huey had a good start, he fell away in in that very area where we got beaten. So you've got to point the finger. Yeah, you, you can watch the game again. I don't want to. No, I'm not, I'm not going to watch it again either. <laughs> I, I think what it is, and um, Brent's actually said that, like, Hugh spent the third most time on ground for any of our players. And we know he's still a lot more restricted in terms of his endurance because of that switch um, from basketball. So I wonder whether it's also partly fatigue might have a bit to do with it, maybe Phoenix. But, yeah, you'd have to have a look at it. You'd have to almost have a tracker on him and see where he's wow. being put at the time. Um, here, here are the people who had, who spent 88% time on ground. Gallucci, Greenwood, uh, Luke Brown had 89%, Alex Keith had 92 Jenkins 94 Talia 88 Sloan 88 um, Lynch and Cheney, eighty-seven. So yes, he was up there, but he's a bloody midfielder. So come on, we can't we can't keep giving him the out. He's been in the system now long enough, in my in my opinion. Well, I, I, I think next year we'll tell the story. Mm. Uh, the number that surprises me is Matt Crouch, only eighty percent time on ground compared to all our other midfielders. Crouch and Gibbs eighty and eighty two, um, Sloney eighty eight, um, and uh, Huey Greenwood eighty eight. Where's Knight? I've lost Riley Knight. There he is eight, Riley Knight eighty six. So our two key midfielders, Gibbs and, and um, Crouch, spent the least amount of time on the ground of all our midfielders. How does that work? Yeah, that's weird. You'd have to ask the guys who would... Well, neither of them are injured, so how does that actually work? That's poor man management, I would have thought. It does does seem to be a little bit of mismanagement uh, of key players, yeah. I mean, Matt Matt Crouch, Bryce Gibbs and Rory Sloan are our key midfielders. Rory Sloan spends 88% of the time on, Bryce Gibbs 82, Matt Crouch 80. Doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I have to agree with you. Yeah, that could be why we're looking for a new fitness guy because he often is the one who's in charge of the GPS numbers, etc., and how much time they're spending on the ground and off. Well, I happen to know for a fact from conversations that I've had that they wouldn't know shit about their GPS numbers. To be honest, their management of GPS numbers is uh, amateur at the moment. 
for one well, reason we, or another. Uh, our whole fitness department are imaging. Um, look, let's uh, we could go on forever. Let's just cover cover a couple more off. Uh, Rory Sloan, uh, I felt was well held. He only had seventeen touches, uh, twelve tackles because you can't keep a good man down. But it, it, the 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 problem with Rory when he gets tagged is he he uh, stops becoming a, uh, stops being a, an offensive weapon. Um, You're right, and I You're think right. he, opposition teams don't mind him tackling. Um, he's only gained us 216 meters for the match, and he's gone at 29 percent disposal efficiency. Yeah, he's got an inability uh, to shake a heavy ta- tag, and uh, his one response uh, appears to be, "Well, I can't win offensively, so uh, exactly. I'll win de- defensively." Exactly. And, however, that's not how you win games, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, my opinion. Need to get more out of him. Well, I, I don't think it's ever going to come uh, because of the fact that, uh, what, what is Rory, 28, 29? Yeah, something like that. I just don't think he's going to learn too many new tricks from between now and retirement. Yeah. Uh, and oh, look, if, there's, if there's one player that would macker, I actually think it would be him. You know, I mean, the key moment of the game, as we identified, which was, you know, that 20-minute mark of the third uh, second quarter when things started to change... Rory had eight possessions, five and three. Now, by the time the damage was done at the end of the third, Rory had seven and five. So he had two and two in that key period of a quarter and a you know quarter and a bit. Uh, it was just ineffective during that time, and also crucially during that time, he only had one tackle. So the stat that he is measuring himself on in terms of tackling during that key period of time, not only was he offensively absent. But defensively, he was absent as well. So he was cut completely out of the game. For just a, noticing, sorry, I was just going to say, um, just to add further to the mystery of all that, it looks like they're talking about in the, in the chat about the uh, time that Gubb spent on the ground. Is that right that he's only spent 28% of the time? No, that's not right. It was 72% of the time. I don't know who's looking at that stat. Uh, it looks like that's what they say, but um, anyhow, move on. <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, <laughs> Mitch McGovern, time on ground, 72%. I'm reading it right in front of me. Okay. So I don't know whether... If you guys can tell me where they got 28% from uh, in the chat, that'd be great because Footy Wise telling me 72%. Oh, no, they talk about Sloan's, Sloan's no. age. Yeah, apologies, boys. <laughs> Come on, Macca. Bloody hell. Um, all right, so, we, I mean, that's pretty much the stats that matter. Uh, uh, JJ, I thought, tried hard. Um, and Really liked his aggression at the start, and I think he should have had a lot more freeze. He was getting manhandled so early, mm. and now I'm standing there looking at it happening. I, I think... Um, go on, Mac. Yeah, you're right. I was going to say, Nicky is right about that, but apart from that, um, some of the delivery team was atrocious. Oh, poor yeah. bugger. But uh, the, the problem is I wish Jenkins had turned around and cut sick at the umpire because I think he's actually too mild because he, he's been carrying three on his back for the last month and not uh, getting a free was, he kick. He was yelling at him. But, he, uh, he, he did turn and have a go. Like considering um, some of the pr- frees like that one that you mentioned against Huey, um, Nicky, uh, with that uh, Max Gorn um, swan dive, 
I mean, Josh Jenkins, for all his faults, he's been putting himself in good positions and he is continually having arms held, jumpers pulled, etc., 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 and not getting a sniff from the umpire. Yeah, he was treated very poorly. Treated very poorly by both the umpires and our and our players kicking to him. Yeah, I've so, I've actually really enjoyed Josh's growth as a forward this year. Yeah, uh, I've enjoyed his the increase in his aggression. Yeah, I, 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 I'm still disappointed that you know for for our biggest player, he took one mark for the night. Get up when your arms are held down. I understand that, Nick. I really do. Um, but the simple fact is, he's a he's a two hundred centimeter key forward, and he took one night, one mark for the night. Uh, if that was someone like a uh, Peter Wright from Gold Coast, would be saying how useless he was. You know, so I look, I'm not, and I'm not bagging Josh by any strength because I think his effort levels have increased substantially this season, substantially. Um, and I think his aggression has, has been on an upward trend and, and we can only commend him for that. But his inability to, to clunk marks at times is frustrating. Um, I thought down back uh, we were okay. I thought Cheney was excellent. I thought Alex Keith did a really good job. Uh, Luke Brown was inconspicuous but didn't seem to make any blues. Really liked Keith's game. I thought he yep. played a very good game. Um, Kelly was a bit vanilla and Taz looked a bit down and looked sore. Um, if you ask me, sore as, sore as, yeah, sore as, yeah. So two two players that I'd like to finish off uh, our head our uh, individual stats chat. Can we talk about Taylor Walker? Eleven kicks, uh, three handballs, fourteen disposals. Took two marks, kicked one one, four tackles, three inside fifties. Um, he went. At where are we? Five contested possessions, sixty-four percent disposal efficiency, seven score involvements. Give me what you guys think of Texas game. Well, from my point of view, uh, he's basically one of the key forward at centre half forward, and I don't think he's had a very good year to be, to be honest. And, and I just think at times uh, he just drops out the game, and he certainly doesn't hold his marks like he should. Um, how many marks did he have for the game? Two. Did he have one? Two oh, marks for the go. game. Two, two. He just doesn't. He just doesn't mark it. Well, mark sorry, it sorry. Two marks in the first quarter, and, and that's and rest. that's it. Yeah, and look, a good a good forward should at least put himself in a position where he's going to at least get another mark in the in, in the rest of the game. And uh, I, no, I, I'm not really happy with Taylor's uh, season at all, to be honest. And I don't think he. I thought his game was okay, but that's 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 as good as he's got this year, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. Uh, at quarter time, he had seven kicks um, and two marks. Not a bad start. Um, and at half time, he had uh, eight kicks, one handball, and two marks. So completely fell away. Third quarter, he at three quarter time, he had nine kicks. Two handballs, two marks. So he had one kick in the third quarter, um, and had two kicks and a handball in the last, and no marks. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just, to me, he's had a disappointing year. Well, it's been disappointing. Uh, you wonder how he's been managed, and you know it's difficult to get a read on that, isn't it? Um, he looks heavy. Um, 
He's over 100 kilos, which seems to me to be heavy for a player of his height mm. uh, and the type of role that we want him to play, 100, 102 which kilos Which is unusual is because he was a lot slimmer in pre-season. Mm. So something's going on there. Yeah. Um, you know, he looks very bottom heavy. He looks cumbersome. He doesn't look confident going up for marks. He's doing this whole one-handed thing again. Mm. Yep. Um, and that's and we've picked that before, Phoenix. That's yep. his lack of confidence. Yep. And that's the impression I'm getting. It will, It's not so much a lack of confidence that he's trying too hard because he knows he's got to try and do something to lift that team. And instead of and Eddie's got the same problem. Instead of just relaxing and being instinctive, because they're both great instinctive footballers, they seem to have taken too much on themselves and they're scared of making a mistake. Well, Eddie certainly got the yips in terms of set shot for goal. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, American Crow, 100 kilograms is 220 pounds in American speak. Yeah. I um, need to move to metric. <laughs> Yeah, no, look, I mean, we all love Tex, and he wears his heart on his sleeve and he, he bleeds for the club. Um, and we all know that he hasn't been the same player since he did his knee, and he's obviously carrying injuries. Uh, I wouldn't mind betting that he's carrying something around the hips, and he's certainly carrying something, uh, you know, in terms of his feet. But And so I don't... And I know he, he would feel compelled to be on the park you know, to try and get the team over the line, etc., etc., etc. But I felt like the inclusion of Texas Week had two two knock-on effects. The first was that he didn't actually have much influence in the game, um, and you know, does his form actually warrant selection? Uh, but secondly, it completely stuffed up our forward line. We were yeah. too we were too tall as a consequence. I agree. Yeah. You know, they had to make the call and drop Mitch McGovern to play Tex. We could not have all those tools in that forward line, particularly playing on a Saturday night and particularly when the weather forecast was, was you know, dewy and probably rainy. Why yeah. are we playing so bloody tall? And particularly since we've had so much success with a smaller, more uh, speedy and aggressive forward line over the past three weeks. I, I don't understand it. You can't. Yeah, we, we, the coaches have seen to learn that, you know, that speedier forward was actually better for us. It created this great pressure. And then they're like, oh, he's available. We have to go back to how we were last year. But even though we don't have many of the other players and our delivery and our ball movement isn't as good, we're going to go back to the way we wanted to do it for last year. It's, it was just like a complete reversal of stupidity. Well, can't argue. And, and the other thing, I, I, I thought that uh, uh, Gov... When, when, when with uh, Walker coming back in, I and, and Dode being out, I thought the Gov would have gone into the back line yep. and taken his place. That's what I thought was a, a natural move. But well, when we were talking about it on Tuesday, it didn't seem like there was any other thing that could happen, did there, Macca? No, that's what we thought was logical. But um, I wanted him on the wing and put Kelly uh, back in the back lines. Well, it doesn't matter which one you do, but at least you don't have that heavy forward line and um, big forward line. And slow moving one, and, and look, we we just didn't have it like they did in, in terms of the quick movement in the forward line. No, that's right, and I I honestly believe that it it contributes to clogging up space. That there was a notice, there was 
noticeable space in our forward line over the previous two weeks. Um, and, and, the, and you look at the comparison with Melbourne, with, with uh, Tom McDonald. Jeez, uh, I tell you what, is that bloke mobile for a big bloke? Mm. I mean, he, he's tall, he's big, he's heavy, but, gee, he can get ahead of speed up. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, the last person I want to talk to talk about is Sam Jacobs. Uh, five kicks and a handball, six disposals, uh, took three marks, 36 uh, hit-outs. Um, where are we? Source? Ah. Uh, three contested possessions, uh, four one percenters. Didn't have a lot of influence on the game. Uh, in, in, by comparison, Matt Scorn, 12 disposals, two marks, 66 hit-outs. Uh, two inside 50s, three clearances, um, and seven contested possessions uh, with four intercept possessions. Uh, working behind the ball, as he's done over the last month or so, it's just chalk and cheese, isn't it? It's just chalk and cheese. Yeah, well, Gord is the number one ruckman in the league, and um, he showed us why he's the number one ruckman in the league. These he, two he... blokes were level pegging two years ago. Well, they're not now. <laughs> they're not now. Um, In green oh, age. Well, you know, it's, if you do a graph of where they're at, uh, Gorn is on the rise and probably might even be at the peak, not sure. Um, and uh, unfortunately for Source, his graph, well, the, the, the line's going in the other direction. I did like, though, that um, Source was very much... So we know that Gorn likes to park himself in the defensive area for Melbourne. Um, and so what we did was we sent Source to him. Source actually stayed with him to stop him being that outlet, etc. But it then had that effect of clogging up our space. Yeah. Um, so instead of having all those other tool forwards, we had Source down there as well. Yeah, I did see that. No, it didn't help matters any. Mm. Well, it did, it did actually to start off within that first quarter, Macca, because they were trying to kick out to him or use him. And Source was actually there and he was with him. So whilst his stats are down, yes, this is what I was saying much earlier, was I was happy in that first bit with how Source and then when um, Jenkins actually went on him, how they were actually playing Gorn. We were countering him really well, but they couldn't maintain it. No. Um, look, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on Source, but I... To me, uh, uh, against good Ruckman, uh, he's he's had his pants pulled down every time. Grundy, uh, Max Gorn, um, who was the other one that we played a couple of weeks ago, uh, Nan Curvis. Um, he's just getting his pants pulled down, and it makes you think. Well, if he's not going to be able to compete with the best, then why do we need to have someone like that? We may as well. I mean, we'd be better. To be honest, we'd be better off rucking Jenkins and having Jenkins run around the ground and taking a few marks and using his pace. At least he's agile. Um, sources lots, to me, Sources liability now. He's not he's not doing enough. Yeah, he's looking a little bit dinosaurish, isn't he? Mm, not doing enough. And, jo- and Josh also tries to be really proactive. Yeah. Well, at least Josh is uh, aggressive. And I think Josh's um, ruck work has improved sufficiently. Because you put him up against Max Gorn and he's going to get towed up. But Source got towed up. 
So would we be better off playing Josh Jenkins in the ruck and bringing in a Harry Himmelberg into centre-half forward or just playing a smaller forward line? I mean, I think we just have to... I think the point that I'm trying to get at with a couple of these players that I'm highlighting, Tex Walker, Source Jacobs, a couple of others, they seem to be automatic selections, and I don't think we can actually have them as automatic selections anymore. Yeah, well, I I agree with you, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, I don't don't know whether there'll be anything revolutionary this year, but uh, uh, next year we we can't go with the same structure, that's for sure. No. Anyway, look, let's uh, finish up with our, with our awards um, and uh, get the hell out of here because we've already been going an hour and a half. <laughs> All right. Anyone going to beat Miller? No, I don't think so. I, I think he was very much away, a head and shoulders above everybody else, and particularly some of that beautiful... Um, sidestepping moves he was doing apart from the two brain fades. Mm. Yeah, I agree with it. You're happy with that? There's only, yeah, only, there was only fault in his game and unfortunately they were two bad ones. But look, he's in the process of learning and he's on a very upward curve and I thought, as you said, it was a bit of a breakout game really and uh, uh, I thought he was our number one. Yeah. Uh, Jet of the week, what do we reckon? I think Genie needs to be mentioned in here. He's probably not going to get Jet of the Week, but I, I think he was actually <laughs> one of our. But he probably was actually one of our best players on the night. I was really impressed with his game and his composure down back. Um, I think Miller also needs to be counted in here um, as one of our most consistent players overall four quarters. Who else do you guys think? Uh, yeah. I would uh, probably say that it was those two uh, I thought Alex Keith did a good job um, oh, yeah. without being a standout um, but it's probably the two that you mentioned uh, Nikki uh, and to be honest with you I, I'd lean towards Miller yeah I'm happy yeah he was he was a little bit more proactive um, I think just working that higher up and um, but yeah let's give it a wane yeah, I mean, a definite honourable mention to Cole Chaney, who probably saved about three, four goals and was an absolute rock and has been rock solid and I think proven a few people wrong uh, or with short memory since he's come back into the team because he has been an asset since he's come back into the team, in my opinion. I'm, I'm very happy. I would love him to stay on our list because that is the type of depth player you want. Well, I think he's best 22. Solid. I, yeah, he is at the moment, um, but you know he's got age, etc., uh, in his way, and he does have some limitations to his game plan. Mm. So it depends on also as he's a defender who we're playing up against. Is there an actual role for him? Um, <laughs> but when he comes in, he's going to slot in job. beautifully every single yeah. time. Does a job, absolutely. Uh, next one will be interesting. Um, I'd like to thousands. give a swimming, uh, a midfield coach. Hmm, left field. Well, because I think that's where our issue was. Um, I, I mean, personally, I would go for Matt Crouch, 
But as we've been discussing it, it's like, well, no, there's something going wrong there. Um, And you've highlighted so many different scenarios as to all the different things that (laughs) were wrong. Um, (laughs) So I actually think it needs to go to Campo. Well, this is going to be a shock. I'm going to agree with Nikki here. Um, I, just, <laughs> oh, I, just, I like it. I just, just think there was a huge factor in losing the game as what our midfield structure uh, with the loose man in defence was in the third quarter. Um, it, it was just inviting them to kick our guts in. Uh, look, I will make that three from three. It's a, it's a, it's a three yeses from the panel uh, on... Campo purely because it doesn't seem to the midfield structure doesn't seem to be making any sense. Source seemed to be trying to tap it at his feet, and we certainly seem to be set up to be uh, in close. Max was uh, winning most of the taps, and he wasn't dropping them around his feet. He was he was clearing space, and uh, they were all over it. And not at any stage did we respond. Uh, just blew my well, we mind. Did, we did at the start. We, we were actively um, roving to Gorn mm. um, and then he changed it up a bit and we kind of didn't know how to go on there or mm. something happened with those setups. But the start of it was really good. Now, Nikki, you're right. And we, then it we, went to pot. We were roving, we were roving to Gorn and then, but then we decided to go loose man in defence and take one out. So all of a sudden we, we stopped winning uh, the clearances and the, yeah, and the numbers. Yeah, we were out numbers. Yeah, the numbers tell the story. The numbers do tell the story, Maki. You're absolutely right. We were even on stoppage clearances uh, for most of the first half, and we ended up, you know, being what minus thirteen on stoppage clearances. Um, you know, centre clearances we were losing, but not by a large margin, and then that sort of tailed away as well. And as we've already highlighted, you know, contested possessions went down the toilet as well, and they all track that hit out. Like even in the first half, we were losing hitouts, but uh, as you rightly point out, I reckon they changed up their pattern or their strategy halfway through that second quarter, um, and uh, we didn't respond. Absolutely. So Campo for the Wake Up Award, and I think the club in general for the uh, Campo is a terribly nice guy, but perhaps a part-time midfield coach isn't the answer, and he's been there for too long, and maybe just a new voice is required award. Like one that's in charge with our <laughs> forward line. Like Josh Franco, ready-made midfield coach. Yes. Speaking of... Or, uh, or the head coach of our SNFL team. Uh, Ryan O'Keefe. I don't know. Yeah, he, he's an enigma to me. I just want. Does he have the passion for it? I'm not sure. I think he might end no. up going back uh, to Melbourne. No, because I often sit. I often sit near. Um, because he's now gone down the bench. Mm. Um, so you can hear him clearly. Um, he he seems to really enjoy coaching, and he tries to get the most out of all those players, and he's really positive and gives great instructions, and particularly to our top ups. Mm. So, um, actually, I think we want to try and keep a hold of him. Yeah. DSG in the chat makes a really good point. Uh, Carousella is an analyst. Uh, I don't know whether we can get Carousella, but i tell you the one uh, person that's missing from our coach's box this year, and I forget his name, but he's the bloke that used to sit to the right-hand side of Don Pike, and he's and now he's, sitting yeah. next to the right-hand side of uh, John Worsfold. And, and he's also the reason why we've lost Katrina Gill because uh, she's his partner and yep. so she's gone to Melbourne now finally to be with him. Yeah, 
But he uh, is highly rated. I forget his name, Nikki. Do you know his name? Oh, yeah. It's, it's gone off in my head too. Yeah. So. But, but, yeah, he, um, he's a huge loss. Yeah, I, I think he is. I actually think he is, to be honest. Really do. Anyway, look, uh, yeah, young guy, Brent. Um, oh, God, I can't remember his bloody name. Uh, while we're trying to think about that, Nikki, you got any Conquer Wumbles for us this week? I got one. Go for it. Oh, actually, no, I've got two. I forgot the um, the lawyer for Brisbane Lions who just <laughs> – oh, God, that was hilarious. Some of the excuses he tried to give for Cutler and Cutler himself either um, stating that he can't see somebody who's wearing a white Guernsey who's directly in front of him. Um, so he needs his, his eyes tested and a few other things because that was hilarious, their reasoning, trying to get out of that. But – the ultimate, ultimate cockwomble, I think that should win the overall one of the year, is the decision from the AFL talking about their stupid freaking zones and all this other stuff, then getting all the journalists to side with them going, oh, this is really good. Oh, yeah, let's test it in season. And the backlash from the fans has meant they've gone, oh, okay, no, we're not going to do that now. Massive Ask us in the Ask us in the first place, and maybe Channel 7, who were kind of pushing this because their ratings are dropping off, they think it's because it's shit football. No. People are no longer watching Channel 7, Channel 7, because your commentators are so shit, we don't want to listen to them. We turn them off. We don't want to watch anything that has Brian Taylor on it. Ever again. That is why your ratings are dropping off. The way you are pushing tabloid sensationalism, we are not interested in it. Yeah. Give us decent commentators and we will go back to watching people. I have not watched AFL 360 once this year. I have no interest in watching it because they don't talk about the things they should do. They very much have an agenda and they tow the AFL's line. I am not interested in that it is not journalism. No, it's not anymore. And it's an indictment on Glenn, uh, Waitley. Um, yep. Because he's a quality sports journalist and he's just bending over and taking one for the team right now. <laughs> yeah, and what is it? I think some of the things he does on SEN, he goes, oh, we're going to talk about this sports movie. Mm-hmm. Really? You can't find anything else in sport to talk about? Mm. Um, is it Rob Harding? Rob Harding, the Strat coach? Yes, yes, yeah, that's Harding. it. Yep. Uh, thanks, people on the chat. Good uh, PI work there. Look, we've gone terribly over time. Uh, we went a bit more in depth this week, but uh, given that it was pretty much season over, um, barring a miracle, uh, probably warranted a bit more uh, chat. So thanks, everyone, for listening uh, on this extended cast. Thanks so much to the people on the chat who contribute um, every week to our, our Crowcast shows. Um, we will be back on Tuesday night with Tuesday Night Live. In the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, a for Crowcast. Uh, have a look at our website, a4crowcast.com. Leave us a iTunes review and rating, and we'll see you all on Tuesday night, people. Yep. Good night, all. <laughs>